Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. Remember to join us tomorrow, Tuesday, August 21st at 6.30 p.m. at the Gross Point War Memorial, where we are going to continue the Detroit Today book club discussions. We are discussing Matthew Desmond's Pulitzer Prize winning book, Evicted Poverty and Profit in the American City. We have been talking about housing insecurity issues here in Southeast Michigan as they relate to eviction and foreclosure and tax foreclosure and a host of other issues. Uh, in Gross Point, we're going to talk about race and poverty, both differences and similarities in how poverty is experienced. Uh, by people of different races. That's a theme that emerges quite clearly in the book that Matthew Desmond wrote about evictions in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and the way that they drive poverty uh, in that community. We're going to talk about those themes from the book, and we'll talk about those themes in our community tomorrow at the Gross Point War Memorial. We have had wonderful, wonderful crowds show up for each of our Detroit Today Book Club events. I expect that that will be the same tomorrow. We would love to see you there. If you can't make it, though, you can still participate in the book club on our Facebook page. You can just find uh, the Detroit Today Summer Book Club Facebook page and uh, dive into the discussion there. You can also go to WDET.org and find out about the other events we are having. We are working up to our big final discussion August 28th at the Detroit Public Library. We will have uh, a real uh, in-depth conversation about uh, the book and uh, and housing insecurity issues here in Southeast Michigan. So uh, thanks to everyone who has participated so far, and we look forward to seeing more of you tomorrow. Also, a little later in the program today, I am going to welcome Abdul El-Sayed to the studio, and we're going to break down his historic run for governor here in Michigan, which came up short on primary day. We're going to talk about what may be next for Abdul Al-Sayed and the things that he learned while he was running for governor. So you're going to want to stay tuned to that. It'll get started at just past half the half past the hour. Uh, first, though, most weeks we try to invite somebody to join the show who sits on a different side of the political spectrum than me. We talk about the latest local, state, and national political news, and we try to do it in a way that highlights how we can disagree on things, but uh, still not be disagreeable. We can still have a civil and productive conversation. Today, in that role, we welcome back Dennis Darnoy, who is a political consultant from Oakland County. Dennis, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me, Stephen. It's good to see you again. Um, let's start with the big news today. Uh, we're expecting that Gretchen Whitmer, who is the Democratic nominee for governor, is going to announce that she has chosen Garland Gilchrist II, who came up short in his bid for city clerk last year to be Gretchen's running mate and choice for lieutenant governor if she wins in November? Let's start. What do you what do you think of that choice? Uh, I think it's a very safe choice, and what I mean by that is we saw on the Republican side the lieutenant governor nominee uh, Lisa Lyons is meant to secure the West Michigan base in the Grand Rapids area. Um, I think picking Garland uh, is going to do the same here in, in Detroit. It's meant to motivate uh, Detroit voters to talk about a Detroit comeback story, which is something Gretchen's going to need to have if she's going to win in November. Yeah. Uh, I should also note that Gretchen and Garland will both join us tomorrow here on Detroit Today to talk about that pick. Uh, 
uh, and what they expect to do this fall together uh, to try to win that that election. We had uh, Bill Schuette and Lisa Lyons on last week, the day after Lisa was announced as the lieutenant governor choice. Uh, Dennis, in your experience, how important are these choices? Does this really sway voters one way or another? I've heard some people say it's really just something you can screw up, right? <laughs> you want to make sure you don't pick somebody who turns voters off. But as long as you don't do that, there's not a whole lot that you're going to to cement uh, with with this kind of pick. No, traditionally the lieutenant governor picks will get you uh, maybe a news cycle, maybe two news cycles worth of coverage um, and help bump up the, the name of the ticket. But after that, the lieutenant governor sort of fades into uh, obscurity or into the background, and their job really is meant to go motivate uh, the base of support. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that, that base, uh, if you look at, let's start with the Democratic side, which part of the base do you think Garland Gilchrist helps Gretchen Whitmer cement that maybe she was having a hard time with? There was a lot of talk about the fact that she lost uh, the city of Detroit in in her uh, in her bid to to become the Democratic nominee, she she won quite handily, but didn't win the city. Sri Thanandar uh, was the person who who did that. Um, uh, what does Garland Gilchrist bring to her? African American votes in the city of Detroit. Um, traditionally, in in the past, when you're running a statewide, if you're a Republican, you're looking at coming out of the city of Detroit. Uh, 220,000 or so votes down. And your strategy is how do you go and make that up in in the rest of the state? Um, So the lower the turnout in Detroit, the lower the vote totals for the Democratic candidate in the city of Detroit is a boon, a benefit to Republican candidates. So picking Garland, someone as young as as he is and someone who is able to motivate voters um, back in his race, even though it was unsuccessful, is something that she's going to want to capitalize on. Yeah. You know, I also wonder about the fact that Garland, who is, you know, no question, a very exciting new entrant to the political scene here in in southeast Michigan and, and perhaps statewide, the fact that he lost that race uh, to, to Janice Winfrey, the clerk, uh, is that something Democrats should be worried about? In other words, if he was so powerful at getting African-American voters in the city to the polls to cast votes, he would be the clerk, right? <laughs> right, and, and Republicans will make hay of that. Um, they will say, you know, he, he ran one race and he lost. Um, he doesn't have much of a political background. No. One of the main things the lieutenant governor is supposed to do is to work with the Senate. He's got no legislative experience or anything like that. So it, it's a risky choice from from that perspective. But also I think his, his youthfulness is going to expand beyond the city of Detroit. I mm-hmm. think there are a lot of younger voters who are looking to become engaged, become excited. Um, and I think that is something that he will bring to that ticket for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the Republican side. Of, of the ticket, Bill Schuette choosing Lisa Lyons, who is the uh, Kent County clerk, former state legislator. D- does does he solidify the base there, or is he reaching out from the base to try to get voters that he may not be able to get on his own? Again, I think it's solidifying the the West Michigan base. Um, as we talked about, the strategy coming out of Detroit 
any Republican really needs to hold uh, West Michigan. And mm-hmm. Kent County over the years has become um, a little bit more of a battleground. It's a little softer. It yeah. is. And and so having her come and, and, and her family um, having a good history in that area helps him be able to focus on other areas such as Oakland County, Macomb County, Western Wayne, uh, to help try to, to, to find that, that those numbers that will get him to victory. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. Uh, my guest is Dennis Darnoy, a Republican political consultant. Uh, we have him here for Opposite Day today when we invite somebody in who sees the world a little differently than I do to talk about the political news, uh, local, state, and national. We were just talking about the fact that uh, Gretchen Whitmer is set uh, according to media reports, to announce that she has chosen Garland Gilchrist II to be her running mate. Uh, we're talking about Bill Schuette choosing Lisa Lyons last week. We're going to talk about some national politics uh, in a minute. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. What do you think of the idea of Garland Gilchrist as Gretchen Whitmer's running mate. What do you think of him as uh, lieutenant governor if they should win? Uh, Both Gretchen and Garland will be here tomorrow uh, on the show to talk about him as the choice for those roles. Uh, Also, if you want to talk about national politics, think about all those things that we're still seeing come out of the Trump White House. Uh, It is a never ending font of news. Uh, We're going to talk about the Mueller investigation and some other things. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work you into the conversation. Um, uh, Let's talk a little, Dennis, about the the president stripping security clearances from people who've been critical of him or have been involved in the Mueller investigation. They got a little bit of attention last week, but I also feel like People don't uh, people don't dig into this kind of news very much. I mean, especially right now when the president is doing so many things that other presidents didn't do, it's maybe a little hard to keep up and 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 sort of acknowledge when something really significant happens. To me, this is a very significant development: the absolute politicization of security clearances uh, in the intelligence community is the thing that I would think conservatives. Uh, would be most worried about, uh, that that the idea that you dole them out or pull them back based on whether you like somebody or not, that's that's not something we've seen before. Correct. And, and I would agree with you. There's so much news that something like this is, uh, you know, something going across a ticker at the bottom of a screen. You see it. Um, it may not uh, register, uh, you know, but but it is something that you're somewhat aware of, and it is concerning. Um, you know, we we've talked about this. I talked about this with some of my Democratic friends uh, last cycle when Obama was using executive privilege to get around uh, an intransient Congress, mm-hmm. and everyone thought, "Hey, that's a great thing." But the problem is, you're setting a precedent, mm-hmm. and now we're seeing with this president um, <clears throat> setting a precedent for. Things that are just generally they've they haven't been done, and there's reasons they haven't been done. And he's playing a short-term game, but he's doing long-term damage, um, and especially something like this. I mean, you can argue that some of the comments that uh, Brennan made were a little bit inappropriate, um, but that doesn't warrant stripping someone with his background 
um, of security clearance. And also, you, you see the number of people who have come out and supported him. Uh, that's a quiet community. They don't mm-hmm. like to have their mm-hmm. names publicly mentioned. So right. for them to come out and say this is really dangerous, that is a, a big red alarm flashing. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, you, you mentioned the expansion of uh, executive privilege as it pertains to the presidency, which is something we've seen steadily grow, I feel like, over the last couple of, of presidencies and and this kind of thing, which I think is an extreme iteration uh, of that. Is the presidency changing fundamentally under Donald Trump in a way that it doesn't under other presidents? And I guess the, the thing I'm trying to get at there is, you know, he'll serve four years or eight years or some abbreviated uh, uh, term of that if he gets into trouble. And when he's gone, which he eventually will be, because this is a country where we don't let people uh, stay in power forever, will the presidency be different fundamentally in some ways than it was before he got there? Or is he just doing things that stain his own time in office or define his own time in office? And when he's gone, this sort of go back. I guess I'm asking about the elasticity of the presidency. And I think it really depends on the next person who comes in because um, certainly he has done things, President Trump has done things that opens the door for someone else. Mm -hmm. And the question becomes, is that person going to say, you know, no, this is a one-off. This was someone who was not suited to serve as an executive. Or is that individual going to say, you know, these are doors that are now opened. Uh, Congress accepted it under, you know, the past president. So I now have... So I can do it. Right, I can do it. I have, you know, the legal, you know, ability to do it. I have the, the precedent to do it. And and then it becomes a really, you know, dangerous situation. Yeah, yeah. Again, uh, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. My guest is Dennis Darnoy, Republican political consultant here to play opposite me as we talk about the political news uh, that we see at the local, state, and national level. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll try to work you into the conversation. Dennis, last week, uh, newspapers across the country ran columns insisting that journalists are not the enemy of the people, as the president has said, and talked about the important role that they play in our democracy. I was really interested to see how different uh, newspapers approach this in different ways. Uh, but it's a part of me that's always a little bit skeptical of these kinds of demonstrations. I think uh, they seem a little self-important uh, and they seem a little self-possessed. And and I also fear that they take attention away from the important role that the press is playing right now, which is the sort of factual impeachment of this president. In other words, when he does tell lies, when he does do things that are extraordinary, the the, the press is reporting on those things. And, and for the most part, they're doing it in a pretty responsible way. I think uh, there, are, there are some excesses, no question, uh, that, w- that we see from time to time. But they really are stepping up in a, in a lot of ways to, to treat this different presidency differently, and they're adapting. Uh, do, do you think that what happened last Thursday, these editorials that ran in papers around the country, is that the kind of thing that helps people have more faith in the press, or or does it hurt the cause? You know, I, th- I think it actually hurts the cause more than it helps. And what I mean by that is, you know, in, in the political world, we're always asking who's the target audience. 
Um, and if their attempt at these mass editorials was to sway public opinion, I'm not sure that it really works. I mean, there are people who um, don't necessarily see them as the enemy of the state, but don't see them as being uh, fair arbiters. Um, and so something like this actually confirms that bias. Mm -hmm. And then there are those who already support the press and feel like they are being treated unfairly. And, and so this uh, confirms the bias of their supporters, if you will. So I'm not really sure what the overall arching goal was um, and who their target audience was. Yeah. Uh, w when you advise candidates or elected officials in dealing with the press, what, what do you tell them about the respect that they should have for the press's role. What do you tell them about the truth and how important it is? Uh, the, the, the strategy of this White House seems to be to either gaslight or outright lie pretty frequently in an effort to divert attention to the things that they want people to pay attention to and away from the things they don't. Is that a strategy that you see play out a lot in, in, in your world, or is it unusual? Again, it's one of those things that's changing. Um, the relationship with politicians and the press has always been, at least you know, d during my time, is that you can have a conversation uh, off the air or mm -hmm. you know, on background where it's a fair exchange of ideas and, and points of views. And then when you're on the record, you certainly um, you know, will try to present your, your perspective of things, um, understanding that the press does have a role um, and that they will push back against that narrative. Mm -hmm. um, at this point in time, it, it does seem that there are candidates out there here in Michigan and nationally who um, are taking an approach of, I'm just going to spin the facts as I see them, declare that to be the truth, and then challenge you to, to, to show where I'm wrong. And even if you do and are able to show where I'm wrong, maintain that, no, my perspective is the truth. And we saw that with Rudy Giuliani mm -hmm. uh, th mm -hmm. this weekend where you know he essentially said, the, the truths are what you want them to be. That's a very dangerous phrase. I was really surprised to see him say that on, I think it was on Meet the Press that he that he said that to Chuck Todd, the idea that that truth is fungible, that that truth is something you can play with. I mean, there's no question that that seems to be the approach that this White House is taking. But to admit that on the air on national television again struck me as extraordinary. The thing is that they kind of did it, you know, back when Kellyanne was talking about alternative facts. I mean, you know, they didn't didn't hide their hand very much uh, there. But but that I think is very much comes from the top. You have uh, a president who, because of his background and, and and being a reality star and all the other things, knows how to market an image, a perspective. Uh, to, to voters, to a class of, of supporters, and they're willing to follow it. I mean, there are a lot of things, you know, there's the question of if um, it surfaces that the that uh, President Trump used the N-word and it's on tape, mm -hmm. would that really sway uh, his supporters? And I think the general consensus is no. Um, I think that they, in some ways, have it already baked in their mind that, yeah, that's how he talks, that's who he is, and it's not going to change uh, how they view him. So I think his approach in terms of dealing with the press is he knows, and he said it during the campaign, I could step out into Fifth Avenue mm -hmm. and shoot someone and my supporters, not the world, but my supporters probably wouldn't care. And, and I think he's very accurate and has his thumb on the pulse of what his supporters feel and see. Yeah.
this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Dennis Darnoy, a Republican political consultant. Uh, he, we have him here as uh, someone who sees the world a little differently than I do. We try to invite someone in each week to talk about the political news that we see from a different point of view. If you want to join the conversation uh, either about local subjects, uh, Gretchen Whitmer uh, poised to announce that she's choosing Garland Gilchrist II to be her running mate this fall. I want to talk about national news, Donald Trump's recent moves to strip security clearance from folks, uh, the ongoing twists and turns of the Mueller investigation. Uh, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phone. So it's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And we'll work you into the conversation. I want to read a uh, quote from Evan McMullen, a former independent candidate for governor and one of the leading voices in the GOP, uh, Never Trump movement. Uh, he tweeted this morning, those who tell you that there is no truth wish to deceive you. Uh, I, I feel like that's just a, a powerful, such a powerful way to talk about what is going on right now. You do see people in the GOP standing up and saying, this is ridiculous, this is not who we are, this is not what we want to do. But I'm curious uh, what you hear inside the party from people about what this all means to not just the Republican Party, but to conservatism itself. Are we seeing a meltdown of that sort of traditional positioning and and, and foundation rooting in, in a certain a certain kind of principle on that side of the political spectrum. Yeah, and the problem is in in private, there are a lot of Republicans who currently are, you know, in in power uh, in in Congress and state legislators who uh, complain as vociferously against the president as as many of us on the outside do, but yet really don't do much against it. And I mean, I think one of the biggest concerns. Uh, that we have with as conservatives is the fact that if you look at the the deficit and what we've allowed to uh, occur under this president and you know the the busting of the budgets mm-hmm. um, and yet you know uh, we have the power to do it we control the house we control the senate and yet the the action um, <laughs> does not match the the rhetorics behind closed doors yeah yeah uh, let's go to Charlie in Detroit Charlie welcome to Detroit today yeah hey hi thanks for having me um, I'm really pleased to hear the conversation between you and your guests and the other callers. I, I'm just hopeful. I mean, it sounds rational, and I think there's some rationality that's returning to the Republican Party that, that makes it hopeful. I mean, some things should and do transcend politics. And I think for the good of our nation, I hope that, you know, people wake up and realize that, you know, this gentleman is degrading our presidency and our country's image. Uh, and uh, uh, trustability throughout the world. And I don't see it good for our democracy and its future, but I think we'll survive. I think it is resilient enough if people pay attention. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, Charlie, I think that's a a really great, uh, that's a really great dynamic to sort of take note of here, this idea that uh, people have to pay attention and they have to sort of step up to the call that the times are, are asking of them the things that they're they're asking of us. I, I really wonder, though, whether, Dennis, you think that will happen in the Republican Party. So let's talk about right here 
in Michigan where uh, where Donald Trump won the election largely because he was able to flip a state like Michigan, which hadn't voted for a Republican president since, I think, 1988. Um, uh, and even going into the fall now, it seems as though there are candidates, Bill Schuette, maybe principal among them, who are really embracing Trump and not just embracing his policies, but refusing to say anything about these other kinds of transgressions that he's he's indulging. Uh, is there is there a, a reckoning on the way about Trump and the effect that he's having on the party in the country, or uh, are we not quite there? I think we'll be able to see that come November seventh. Um, and what I mean by that is. Um, there, there are a number of Republicans who are fully behind the president. Um, and we saw that in the primary when, when we polled, um, Republican primary voters and they were 98, 99% behind the president. Um, but there is a, a group of Republicans who will see what they do this November, mm-hmm. um, whether they turn out to vote, um, and whether they are active or, or whether they, uh, switch sides and, and vote for a democratic governor. I think it would be very ironic if Donald Trump actually is the cause of the revitalization of democracy. And mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen throughout this primary season nationally, the number of people who are participating, yes. blowing going the numbers, oh, oh, you know, yeah. historic numbers out of the water um, and and people are engaged and and like Charlie was talking about I think that people um, are trying to come back to a new normal or, or create a you know a, a sense of normalcy um, and that is part of the Trump phenomenon um, so in in terms of is there a reckoning for the Republican Party uh, we'll know that for sure November 7th in this state okay Dennis Darnoy, Republican political consultant it is always great to have you here and to have these discussions with you on Detroit today Thank you very much, Steve. We will see you soon. Up next, we are going to talk to progressive favorite in the Democratic primary for governor, Dr. Abdul El-Sayed. We'll talk about his historic run for governor in the state of Michigan, how he came just short of getting the nomination, and we'll hear about his plans for the future. Also, don't forget, if you have to miss any of today's show, you don't have to miss out. You can go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. Download and subscribe to Detroit Today. Take us with you and listen when you are ready. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.